0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Now it's on or off? On now. Up is on. Okay. Great. So welcome, everyone. It's really nice to be here on Christmas Eve when um, Gil asked me to come i did i said sure i 'll come, but i don 't think anyone 's going to show up on christmas Eve <laughs> somehow I felt um, really moved to come tonight, I, even if only one person came, I wanted to be here, so it 's nice that there are so many of you here and um I feel like <clears throat> this is a this is a Buddhist center, but I'm moved by the by the season and by the spirit of um, openness and generosity that seems to be in the air um, and it makes my heart feel sort of gushy <laughs> so Bear with me if I get gushy. <laughs> I, um, I've i been practicing for for a long time, and as Maureen said, I uh, I practiced for a while in uh, Burma uh, with Pawak Sayadaw, who was my preceptor when I ordained. And... Um, you know, I grew up here in America, obviously, in, in the West, and I grew up in a, in a Christian family, a Christian household. And so um, when I started to practice Buddhism and these holidays came along, <laughs> it felt so weird not to, not to um, somehow engage with them and uh And it took a while for me to um, sort of harmonize and and bring these practices together um, because when when a, when a holiday like Christmas comes along and and so much attention is given to um, the birth of love or the birth of hope or the rebirth of hope, generosity, kindness, um, awakening. Um, And then uh, in our, the way that we superficially uh, uh, engage with Buddhism, at least in the beginning, is that uh, life is a lot of suffering. There's a lot of suffering in life. And uh, where, is, where is the love in all of this? So um, I want to talk a little bit about um, how I reconciled that and then um, I want to sort of welcome any comments or questions or anything that you want to bring into uh, the evening. I don't want to just sit here and and talk because I didn't really prepare a talk. Um, Somehow the heart was moved to just be completely natural and spontaneous tonight. So, um, But I do have some notes, and they're adapted and inspired from a talk that was given at a Bayagiri monastery by the abbot up there, whose name is Ajahn Pasano. Some of you may know Ajahn Pasano. He's an incredibly beautiful... Um, monk who's been a monk for years and years and he um, is probably one of the best teachers and trainers of monastics alive today and we're so lucky to have him here in California. So um, he gave this talk called uh, Becoming and Stopping and what the talk is about it's about um, it's about how the urge to be and become the urge to even sometimes renew uh, can be a trap that leads us into suffering and how by looking with mindfulness and attention at how that actually unfolds within our experience, we can stop and put it down. And um, he points to something that's really quite beautiful, and that is that um, to touch the experience of nibbana, Our freedom is to cease. Uh, It's the cessation of this constant movement towards being or becoming. So what does that have to do with love? (laughs) Can anyone figure that out? (laughs) Okay, so let's see where we go with this. So, um, the Ajahn says that it's because we continually, uh, it's because the nature of becoming, or, or it is because of the nature of becoming that we continually experience suffering. And he questions why we actually choose to be scattered and confused and stupid rather than peaceful and wise and loving. So the emphasis here is to look at why we want to be, why we want to become or what drives us in this direction, and it is basically through the force of craving, through the force of something called tanha, that this happens. And we take an object, whether it's external or internal. So we may uh, we may look at um, uh, uh, a relationship or. Uh, some career aspiration or some object in the outer world that we attach to. And we, um, we cling on to that and we invest that with a sense of self, a sense of becoming. Or we look within and we, we see something that we, we want to be. Something that uh, we feel it as a mood, we feel it as a desire, we feel it as some sort of um, uh, like a mind state. We want something so much that we just basically uh, infuse it with a sense of self. And when we do this, we... Ultimately, find ourselves in a place of clinging and in a place of suffering. And um, this this suffering that we find ourselves in through through this wanting to be. is we can put it down, we can cease to go there through the application of looking carefully, through the application of mindfulness, through, a, through looking at what's actually happening. So in a moment of mindfulness... In a moment of seeing this desire, in a moment of seeing what it's leading to and where it's coming from, even if it seems to be something pleasant and beautiful, or even if it's something unpleasant and, and uh, a wish for non-being, sometimes people are not so happy during the holidays. When we see it with mindfulness, in that moment we have ceased to be caught by the desire. It's not that we stop being. It's not that being ceases and that life stops. It's that this desire to be, to be something, to invest experience, to invest process with identity, this ceases to be, and for that moment, we're free. Does that make sense? No. Not to you. So, um, thank you. So, what I'm trying to say is that. Um, it can be confusing. It confused me. Um, how, by by ceasing to become or to be that movement, to be somebody, to to take rebirth, moment after moment after moment. How, how that could. S- how by stopping that I could be free because it seemed like that could never really stop in fact we're always becoming something we are being we're becoming something and so it was a little bit confusing to to try to understand what it meant to stop that to cease being and I don't I could be wrong, but I don't think it, it means that we cease becoming or that this process of life stops. Life continues. The mystery of life continues to unfold, and we seem to be a part of it. But when we stop investing it with the wish to become, with the desire to become, or the desire not to become, if we're unhappy, then for that moment, we're seeing the process with mindfulness, and we're actually in the present moment. So, you know, um, if if I asked you to simply bring your attention to the feeling of the contact of your feet on the floor, can you do that? So, at the moment that you 're noticing the contact on of your feet on the floor, you might not be desiring to notice that contact you 're just that contact is just an expression of life, and you 're in the moment, and for that moment there 's just that awareness that 's kind of a simplistic way of saying it, but it 's when when we stop investing our experience with this deep wish to just be over and over and over again, to renew ourselves, to, re, to uh, recreate ourselves. You see, I was on a retreat uh, once with, with, uh, with my Burmese teacher, and uh, somebody asked during a talk, well, you know i don't really get it because um, if if there is no self, then what gets reborn or reincarnated and and so the answer was that that what that what moves from life to life whether it's from life to life or moment to moment what moves is this desire to be and become so he gave a beautiful example and that was of a of a animal in nature a prey animal, just a deer out munching the grass, and then a predator, a lion, jumps out from behind the tree and chases the prey animal and and catches the deer, and is, you know, the lion knows he's got lunch, and the deer knows that it's all over with somehow, but the deer fights, fights, fights to the end, kicks to the end. And that, and that will to survive, to be, is what propels into the next existence or the next moment. So if you think of that as an analogy of this wish, this desire for being, for becoming, and you can see inherent in this wish is a lot of um, intensity, and it it can be a source of deep suffering so so even just to try and understand something like this can you know it can be distressing to the mind and and you can't really. Um, or I can't, I I won't speak for other people, but I can't, I can't get my mind around it in a way that's comfortable. And so there are people who tend to operate more from, they take their experience in through their mind, and then other people uh, don't do that at all, or they do that to a, to a, a lesser degree, but they operate from their heart. So it's operating from the heart and the mind in finding a balance that has been a, a challenge, both a challenge and a source of refuge for me. Because when I take concepts like this or when I encounter concepts like this concept um, I, the mind really wants to understand it I really do want to understand this because something in it um, rings true something in it says if I understand this there's going to be some opening and some sense of, of freedom that I may be able to touch, but then you know, I oftentimes experience frustration because some of these 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 ideas, these concepts um, are profoundly deep and and really foreign to to the Western culture, to the uh, Christian Christian culture. So I've had to grapple with these things. And then, then there's this other way of approaching it through just opening the heart and letting love out. And that also feels a little bit foreign to me because... Um, I don't I don't know how you do that without investing that with, with a wish to be a certain way. So this brings me full circle to to this idea of compassion and what what is compassion and how does one f- find compassion within themselves? and how do they apply that within their practice. So, some of you, I know some of you here in the room, and some of you know that I'm, I'm in a program now uh, down at Stanford that's studying um, compassion and altruism, doing research and education in the field of, of compassion and altruism and um, it's been a really interesting process for me because uh, as a former monastic and as a longtime meditator, I felt that I had a pretty good um, fix, pretty good idea about what compassion was and how it uh, might express within my own experience. And in fact... I did. I don't want to diminish the contact that I had with my heart in that way in the past. But uh, I've learned to find compassion in places that I never would have dreamed what I was experiencing was actually compassion. So if I look at a concept like the desire to be and become, I can see it as a doorway to insight, but I can also see it as a place of grappling and deep uh, uns- unsettling of the mind, because I can't necessarily understand it immediately. You see, And so I can see the suffering that's inherent in it. And so... One of the things that that we're doing down there that I want to share with all of you Gil actually asked me to share this with you is that we're looking at how through the application of mindfulness we can begin to bring compassion into our experience in a in a very conscious and purposeful way so that we can begin to respond to life from a place of compassion and insight rather than just defaulting to our old habits. You see, this desire to be and become is a habit of mind. It's, it's a habit. It's, a, it's the habit that ties us into doing things over and over and over again in the same way, because we think this is how we're going to find ourselves. We're going to find some identity, some deep purpose, and some deep meaning, rather than to just surrender into the mystery. Somehow this season feels like... um, it feels like it brings people closer to the awareness of the mystery that we all are, of the mystery of the unfolding. And it's through compassion that one can sort of surrender into what mindfulness can only see. So, so. I, w- I will give you an example of of how compassion may may reveal itself in an unexpected way, uh, and I'll do it with a personal a personal example. And if any of you have heard it before, bear with me because uh, I'm going to repeat myself here. Um, so. Not so long ago, I had an experience where uh, something happened to me, and it really triggered me. It triggered a deep and unsettling um, reaction within me. And it totally took like the carpet out from under me. It was like I felt groundless, like I was tumbling in space, I felt um, untethered, completely vulnerable, completely um, um, uh, swept away. That's a good way to describe it. I was swept away, and I couldn't settle down. The mind hooked on to this event and it kept playing it over and over and over again. I kept ruminating over and over and over again. And in the midst of this very common experience, this, I won't say day-to-day experience, but a very human experience, I was trying to recreate myself in a way that I wouldn't feel this suffering. That I wouldn't feel swept away, that I would. I felt, and when I felt swept away, I felt totally weak and impotent, and somehow I felt ashamed of feeling this weakness, even though I didn't know what it was. I, I'm sure you've all experienced something like this at some point or another. And it was totally impossible to see clearly what was happening. I tried every trick in the book that I had, but I could not, I simply could not settle the mind down because I was so caught in the... It felt like a whirlpool that was just sucking me down, you see. So... It took 24 hours for me to be able to actually sit down and to try to be still with myself and meditate. And even when I forced myself to the cushion, I was not able to settle, settle down in, a norm, in the way that I would normally settle down in meditation. I was so churned up. And suddenly, something cleared up, and I realized that I was totally disembodied. I was totally in my mind, completely in my mind, dealing with this with total resistance and aversion. I did not want to be in this experience. It was completely unpleasant, but I... And because I was feeling the unpleasantness in my body, I was feeling a biochemical reaction, a fight, flight, or freeze reaction. You see? A, my body was really in pain. See, and I didn't want to be there. I didn't want to feel it. I only I I was in my mind, I was trying to force it away. And in an instant I saw the desire to be elsewhere, to be different, to be not to be there, the desire for non-being, actually. And I saw in that the root and the core of suffering. It was a tremendous insight because I saw that in this wish for things to be different, for me to be different, for me to experience different, than I was experiencing was the root of my suffering and the denial of my willingness to be with the experience was that I insisted somehow to stay in my mind rather than to allow myself to feel it in the body allow myself to feel what I was feeling once That insight occurred, and I turned back to the body and experienced, actually felt what I was feeling, stopped denying it, actually felt it. It didn't make it less unpleasant, but there was an acceptance of the reality that this was occurring, that this would not be forever, I, under, I saw the impermanent nature of the experience I was having. And in the acceptance of it, I could accept that this would pass and that I would just have to ride this out and that I could accept myself and I could accept the truth of the experience without fighting it and without needing to be anywhere else than with the contact of my feet on the floor, just directly with, you see, something like that. And when that happened, I felt felt this wave of release go from the top of my head throughout my body. Literally, it was just a total letting go. It was a putting down, and I realized at that moment that this was an act of self compassion. To see clearly what was happening, to be with what was happening, to not deny the truth of my experience and not force it to be other than that was an act of self kindness, it was an act of self caring. And I would never in a thousand years have ever identified that as a moment of compassion before. It was through cultivating this awareness, this mindfulness of what compassion is and how it expresses and how it comes into your life that this was possible for me and to to then see the implications for the deeper understanding of the practice that we are a part of, to see that this was, in fact, an act of love and that this was an act of profound mindfulness, you see, and that this, this was all possible because within the container and the field of compassion... The shadow and the light can exist together as it does. and The whole mystery can unfold without, without it needing to be other than it actually is. And in the process, what happened in my personal experience was um, a total shift in the way that i am with myself in my practice and in my life so i've learned to be a lot softer and a lot kinder than i ever was and i thought that i was fairly generous with other people but i did and i knew that it was a little bit harder to be kind to myself But I didn't realize that it was through the recognition of what it means directly to be kind to yourself that my heart would open to other people in such a profound and deep way. And the most wonderful thing I really want to say is that it's stayed open. My heart has stayed open, and I feel it 's a funny word to use for grown man, but to say that the heart feels gushy, I feel really gushy <laughs> and and it 's as though I can embrace the entire world in a new way and feel a, a profound connection with people that i didn 't actually ever um, ever have the pleasure to <laughs> enjoy it in such a way so so how do we cultivate this and um, it's a it's a huge topic and then how does this integrate into our practice so that we can look at topics like the one or subjects like the one that I I I started this talk with tonight, and the way that they're the, the way that we're doing it down at Stanford is that we are first looking at how we cultivate mindfulness. So you all know what mindfulness is because you've been practicing mindfulness for a while, I'm sure, and. Um, it's important that we recognize that, that mindfulness is, is cultivated so that we can recognize when we are being compassionate, when we have an opportunity to be compassionate, when we choose consciously to be compassionate, or when we choose not to be compassionate, and why we choose to be or not to be, and what are the consequences? what are the results that we actually experience in our lives when we move one way or another when we when we move towards opening to the heart, or when we move when we sort of um, uh, resign ourselves and allow ourselves to go back into a into a mode of separateness and competition and you know everything for me and the hell with the rest of the world so um, an easy way to, to sort of get a, a little bit of a feel for this is if it, it, it's Christmas season right yesterday was raining like mad so this works well my little example works well so you're going into, into a store you're going into the supermarket or something to pick up something for your Christmas dinner, and you're in a hurry. You've, you've come from work, and you're stopping to get something, and you're in a hurry, and it's raining. And there's a young mom trying to get into the supermarket, and she's got a baby in the stroller, and the baby is crying, and she's trying to get her umbrella down so that she can reach for the door, and she's got bags in the <coughs> hand. And you can, you can open the door for her and let her go through, simple act, or you can just go in and do what you were gonna do because you're in a hurry. And by doing that, you're not being a bad person, you're just, you know. But that's a moment where you could relieve her stress. And if you do, take that, and you take it, take that opportunity consciously, and you choose that consciously, you can just imagine for a moment what that feels like in your heart when you do it consciously. Or you could choose to ignore it, and just your habit is to just take care of yourself, you're in a hurry, business as usual, and then think about what the what the result of that would be. Not a bad person, but it's not the same thing. You see what I'm saying? And so, to begin to recognize places in your daily life where compassion is a possibility, where operating from compassion is a possibility. You see? And then, to find within your own experience, within your internal experience, you see, where where we want so much to be one way or we don't want to be another way or, you see, and then to find ways to recognize how that is a source of suffering and it's in the simple recognition of suffering that the heart opens. You don't have to do anything. All you have to do is be mindful. And when you're mindful, you cease being caught by the desire to be. For, for the moment of mindfulness, you can rest in presence. And in presence... You you're free. You see, you're free, f- and what you're free from is that desire for being, for becoming. Does this make sense? Yes. So, um, so it's Christmas time, and and. Lots of people feel incredibly wonderful feelings during this time, and other people feel um, pretty neutral, and some people have a really difficult time. Some people have lost loved ones, some people are estranged from their families, some people are alone and they don't want to be alone. It brings up a lot, Um, and I don't know why, (laughs) I don't know why this season um, I feel so, I'm thinking, I'm talking about myself a lot tonight, I didn't mean to do that, (laughs) but I feel so full of love and so full of compassion and so happy to be um, uh, held by the Dhamma, to have the Dhamma in my life, to have the Dhamma to be with people like you all who, who have been touched, and stirred and moved by the Dhamma. It's such a blessing. When I think of all the people on the planet, and, um, you know, it's, it's not like we're all special, but the blessings that are flowing into our lives, these are very special, this is a very special thing, and so um, and so this brings up feelings of of appreciation of gratitude of love and um, and it also brings up questions of identification with wanting things to be really nice, and sweet, and wonderful, and and wanting to be a certain way, and seeing that it's not such an easy thing to be, to figure out, and um, sometimes it's just a matter of trust, trusting the heart, to see where to see how things unfold for us so i've been rambling a lot tonight here and uh i hope it hasn't been uh too too uh i hope that there was some thread that you could find in all this does anyone have any questions or comments here before we close? It's nine o'clock I didn't realize I'm I'm used to talking for an hour so I thought I had a little bit more time. Yes?
1: So like um, creativity is a big force in my life right? Like creativity and doing new things and that also propels me into uh, maybe sometimes more business or mm-hmm. starting something new, and yeah. that takes its own life yes. right and energy mm-hmm. and um and maybe sometimes it helps it, it doesn't give me enough time let's say to meditate or do other things right mm-hmm. so I was just curious what you thought on like i'm I'm always not clear is whether. Am I going with this creative impulse and is that becoming in some ways, mm-hmm. that that impulse itself? Or if I just do whatever I was doing and keep doing it for years and years, how would that
0: be different? So this is what I'm... This, thank you for the question. But this is what I mean by it's not so easy to... Uh, we can we can talk around these things and talk in platitudes but when you're in the midst of your everyday experience it's not so easy to tease through what is becoming and what is not becoming what is unfolding and so on and so forth but i think one of the ways that you can that any of us could deal with the the fact of the busyness of our life is is by looking at the motivation for the busyness and whether it's, it's driven by the desire to be a certain way or to become something, or it's driven by just creative expression, creativity arising through you. You see, it's one thing to be a great musician and play beautiful music, and it's another thing to want to be seen as a great musician, or to think of yourself as a great musician. That's it, it's a subtle thing, but it's, if you are sort of a channel for life, a channel for creativity, then this is what I mean. Becoming just happens. It's not like it stops. But what stops, what, we're, what gives us the freedom, is when we stop desiring or wishing for things to be one way or another or to be seen one way or, or another. Does that help clarify? Yeah. And and really, when that happens, there is freedom. There is liberation. Even if it's only for a moment. And all we have to do is taste this in our lives and realize that, you know, Gil always says, drop by drop by drop, and you pretty soon you fill up the the glass with mindfulness or with whatever it is that or with compassion you see so, so that question also uh, is a is a way to look at compassion because one could drive themselves crazy thinking am I am I just creating suffering here by doing this work by being creative and moving through my projects? Am I just creating suffering? And you can, you know, and so seeing that possibility as a place of suffering, compassion can hold that. Even if you do suffer by it, compassion can hold the suffering. You see, so Then if one were to judge themselves, let's say, this, you know, I'm doing this, I can't stop doing this, I shouldn't do this, I'm an enlightened Buddhist, I shouldn't do this. You see? So then judgment comes in. Compassion holds the judgment as well. This is how it's changed my practice. I saw that I didn't have to be perfect, or the way that I thought perfection would unfold for me. I could accept myself as a total human being with foibles and strengths and weaknesses and all of that, the whole package. That's the beauty of compassion. Compassion allows everything. Compassion holds everything. Compassion is the ground in, and the field in which healing and occurs so for those of us who have lost loved ones for those of us who are estranged from loved ones for those of us who find ourselves in pain and distress especially during the holidays compassion is the field in which you don't have to deny your grief and your sadness you can hold your grief and your sadness but it's with compassion, that you are healed, that we are healed. You see, mindfulness recognizes that we're in pain. Mindfulness recognizes that we judge ourselves harshly or we judge ourselves for not being perfect. And compassion sees it all and holds it all. Mindfulness is simply like a mirror that reflects back to us what's happening, the mirror doesn't comment on it. And the mirror also doesn't comfort us. The mirror simply shows us. That's what mindfulness does. And sometimes that's all that's required in order for us to let go. But when we're in a, some sort of a cycle, like I described my experience, where I just I couldn't break out of it because I, it, it was too intense, it, it washed me away. It was mindfulness that could see it all and hold it all and see it for what it was without trying to make it be different than it was. And compassion, mindfulness saw it and compassion held it all without trying to make it different than it was. So, So, okay. Do you have the microphone? I'm sorry. I, I can't hear you, I'm sorry.
1: Uh, the relationship between acceptance and compassion, mm-hmm. when you we were talking, it seems to me that both were so together and, and, and kind of I got lost on the meaning of one and another, right?
0: Yeah, I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to make it sound confusing, confusing but acceptance, compassion is the natural result of acceptance. So I don't think they're they're different. You see, our acceptance is an expression of compassion. You see, compassion is different from empathy. However, empathy is the ability to feel someone else's pain. You see, but compassion simply sees it and holds it. It doesn't. Go over the edge with people with empathy, you can you can actually be drawn in. I see you suffering with a broken foot or something, and I can actually feel your pain. It actually registers in the part of my brain that registers pain. compassion registers in a different different region of the brain so so did you have a question? Yes, you do. All right. And then for any anyone, anyone that wants to leave, we're past 9 o'clock, so please go for it, or we can stay for as long as you like. So I feel I got your definition, but... What would you say the definition for compassion? Mm -hmm. What is the definition? Mm -hmm. The definition of compassion is to, um, to recognize and bear witness to suffering in someone else or within yourself with the wish to mitigate or alleviate it. That's a classic definition. That would be the definition that you would hear from His Holiness the Dalai Lama. That's the classic definition of compassion. But compassion can express itself in many, many different ways. Like I I gave you my personal experience. I would not have ever applied that to myself. It was through feeling pain and seeing that in a direct way that I felt the heart open and I recognized the opening as, as the expression of self-compassion. And I also felt it as love. I felt it as love. So, so compassion or self-compassion is not self-indulgent at all. It's not self-indulgence. You know, it's not... Go ahead. With the mic, because I have a little bit of a hearing problem. Just the thought, the... <laughs> Uh, unconditional love is included in the compassion. Unconditional love? Unconditional love, would I would say yes. I mean, I don't know what other people would say, but that's what it feels like to me, you see. And I think in some way, it sounds weird to say this about yourself in public, but I think that in some way I'm getting at least a little bit of a taste of what unconditional love feels like because I allowed myself to feel compassion in a way that I had never done before. And so it's opened me in surprising ways. I'm also a lot more (laughs) direct and honest. (laughs) So, (laughs) maybe to a fault. Anyway, I, I have... Really enjoyed being here with you all tonight. And I hope that um, this was useful in some way. And if it wasn't, there's a round file that you can (laughs) file it in. So from the bottom of my heart, I wish you a happy holiday and a very happy new year. And I also want to say that, um, you know, in our tradition, when people come together and they practice, meditate together and and listen to the Dhamma, that, um, that it's taught that we create a field of goodwill and merit, not only for ourselves, but for everyone that we touch. And by extension, everyone in the world and beings that we probably will never see, seen and unseen. So in this field of merit, um, I bow to each one of you for your practice and for that which stirs your heart to awaken. And I, um, I wish you metta and love from my heart. May all beings everywhere be happy, and free. Thank you.